some of us uh, find a book that we love and then we want everyone else to love it too. And that may not be necessarily the case. So I'm going to do it anyway and recommend a book that I love. And uh, it's called Boundless Heart by uh, Christina Feldman. And it's the Buddhist path of kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity. And I so love this book. And it's, it's, I don't want to say it's easy to read, but it's very uh, clear and um, wonderful in how she holds the heavenly abodes and the Brahma Viharas and the way she uh, situates them into one leads into the other. It's quite, um, I call it profound. <laughs> so I recommend it unabashedly. And I'll start there with her uh, description of compassion. The whole, cha- the whole book is wonderful. Compassion is, tonight's topic, by the way, is compassion and resistance. And compassion is not for the faint-hearted at all. It's quite a, I would say in some ways, a very demanding practice because you're invited to your heart to break open over and over and over. And how do you situate yourself with the suffering of others when you too may be suffering as well? And how do you hold empathy through that experience and be kind to yourself as well as have space to recognize the suffering of others and hold space for that as well. At the heart of compassion is the invitation to turn towards suffering. Just as the longing for love, safety, and respect is a universal longing and story, so too is pain a universal and inescapable story. Suffering is part of the story of our body and of all our bodies. Illness, frailty, aging, and pain feature in every life. Suffering is part of the story of our hearts and of all hearts. So, one of the things that I discovered early on in my practice was that I was trying to figure out where my allegiance, not allegiance, my leaning towards and what was drawing me to Vipassana and where where did I situate myself in the whole Buddhist philosophy spectrum. And early on I discovered it was compassion practice. So I have been cultivating it over quite a few years. And... Um, I am grateful, and it's full of grace and mercy in the midst of all of the suffering. There is grace, and there is mercy. And the Buddha said, do not believe in anything simply because you've heard it. Do not believe in anything simply because it's spoken and rumored by many. Do not believe in anything simply because it's found written in your religious books. Do not believe in anything merely on the authority of your teachers and elders. 
do not believe in traditions because they have been handed down for many generations. But after observation and analysis, when you find that anything agrees with reason and is conducive to the good and benefit of one and all, then accept it and live up to it. That's a tall order. However, it's not just about reason and logic, but it's also what what sustains your heart, what opens you to being present with the suffering of others. And sometimes it's just hard, and you don't want to, and I know I don't want to. So then what happens? James Baldwin says that I imagine that one of the reasons that people cling to their hate and prejudice so stubbornly is because they sense that when the hate is gone, they will be forced to deal with their own pain. I think sometimes looking at oneself, looking at that mirror and seeing oneself is, is really frightening. And there's a way you could do a spiritual bypass so you don't have to pay attention to that part. And so you could kind of think you're out there for everyone else, but you're also carrying your own wounds and your own woundingness. The last weekend, I think it was last weekend, there was a tragic death in Oakland, the MacArthur Bard Station, and everyone was affected and suffered from the people on the train who witnessed to all the family members and for everyone who knew both parties. Like many, I am heartbroken with the sadness over the, the events that led to the tra- tragic death of Nia Williams, as well as the range of mixed emotions regarding Robin Colwell, the young white male who had a terrific history of mental illness suffering. Essentially what happened is that Nia and her sister were on the train, and uh, I don't know how it happened, but he had a knife and he slit her throat, and she bled to death on the train. And her sister, he, he cut his, her sister's throat, but she was able to survive it. And it was such a shock. And uh, in the paper, they also gave uh, background on his history, and he has a history of severe mental illness. And he comes from a family of neglect and mental illness as well. And so what do you do with that? You know, it's like, when I read it, I said, okay, so there's more here than just about race because that has been so prevalent. And that's the first place that I go to because it's so common. And it's, it's painful to say that it's so common. It's very painful. And yet there's this element that's not about the race, but the severity of the lack of services or whatever for this man to not get what he needed. And the far enemy of compassion is cruelty. And that was an act of cruelty even if it was whatever else was going on with the mental illness, it's, it's frightening when something like that happens. And then how do you hold that? So does your compassion and your sadness lean only towards Nia? And what about him? So it could be your sister, or it could be your brother. It could be your niece. It could be your nephew. It could be your daughter. It could be your son. And the complexity continues just to grow. And so how do you hold that? Is there a place that you have compassion? Or is it filled with judgment? 
and bias. And how do we hold that? Can we say that I too could do, not so much do something like that, but turn myself away from not having an understanding in that moment or wishing both of them ease in their suffering. It's a real challenge to look at situations where you don't want to forgive, you don't want to have compassion for, and you don't care about, and that is real. And so how do you hold that? And I think part of how that can happen is having forgiveness and having a forgiveness practice that helps ground oneself when the suffering in the world is too much. So part of my sharing that is that I want to really understand how I can respond with courage and wisdom and compassion for the benefit of all. And I'm not there yet. I'm still struggling with making sense of that. And is that okay to say that I'm not there yet? And is it okay to say that the compassion, the suffering, I understand the suffering, and yet how do I open my heart to that? How do you open your heart to that? Do you want to open your heart to that? An Wong says, the practice of forgiveness is the practice of understanding and compassion. Understanding is the substance of true love and true compassion. If love is in our heart, every thought, word, and action can bring about a miracle. And that is hard. So we get these famous, wonderful quotes. And it's like, well, how do I live that? That's too, that's too hard. Can I just have part of that? And I think this is part of what's, the, what's so beautiful about compassion, because the answer is yes. Where, where am I in this moment in which I can hold a place of empathy? And if I'm not ready for that, can I hold that too and hold that with kindness and not judge and blame myself because I'm not ready and I haven't developed the capacity muscle to hold the enormity of that suffering? And sometimes that's what it is. And there's lots of stories in the news both here in the United States and abroad of so much pain. So much pain. And then what do we do with that? How do we hold that? John O'Donohue says, compassion distinguishes human presence from all other presence on the earth. The human mind is one of the most gracious gifts of creation. It is the place where nature gathers at its most intense and is its most intimate. And the human being is an in-between presence, belonging neither fully to the earth from which she has come nor to the heavens forward with which her mind and spirit aim. In a sense, the human being is the loneliest creature in creation. And paradoxically, this also has the greatest possibility for intimacy. So how do we do this? How do we, how do we hold 
or do we want to even hold? Question is, do I want to hold and be with this suffering? And then the next question could be, and how do I do this? And how do I do this from a place of integrity and sincerity? Jack Kornfield says, truth and reconciliation first begins in ourself. And in these polarized and deeply troubled times, we are called upon to deepen our own practice of steadiness and courage and mindfulness and love. It is at these times that we must become the steady hearts that society needs, the ones who remember, who are unafraid to tell the truth, and who do so embodying the human possibility of compassion, understanding, and reconciliation. And this concept of Vipassana, in using the language of it is a practice, is in some ways very freeing because it is a practice. And there are no mistakes. So there's always an opportunity to practice how do I hold compassion? Or how do I hold loving kindness? Or can I be with you in your happiness? Or can I be with how things are as much as I want them to be different? I know sometimes when I think about um, who is in the Oval Office now, I just like, oh my goodness, how do I do this? Because that is definitely a challenge. That is definitely, definitely a challenge. And Sharon Salzberg sums it up quite well. And she says, sometimes we think that to develop an open heart, to be truly loving and compassionate, means that we need to be passive, to allow others to abuse us, to smile and let anyone do what they want with us. That's not compassion. That's abuse. That is suffering. Yet this is not what is meant by compassion. Quite the contrary. Compassion is not at all weak. It is the strength that arises out of seeing the true nature of suffering in the world. Compassion allows us to bear witness to that suffering without fear. It allows us to name injustice without hesitation and to act strongly with all the skill at our disposal. I remember, I I think it was recently, where uh, students in one high school, because of all the violence and the guns, they uh, staged a silent protest. And then it, it rippled around the country, and it was a day of students walking out of the schools in silence, in support of this needs to stop. That was amazing. That was so courageous. That is an example of the fierceness of compassion with dignity, with integrity, with clarity, and with love. It allows us to name injustice without hesitation and to act strongly with all the skill at our disposal. And that's what these young children, these children did. It was amazing to watch. And to develop this mind state of compassion is to learn to live. 
the Buddha put it with sympathy for all living beings without exception. So the dedication of the merit is similar, is that when we offer this dedication up, it is for all life without exception. Everything that lives has a place where we could have compassion. There are those who are very committed to the environment. There are those who are very committed to animal rights. There are those who are committed to changing people's concepts of gender and having gender fluidity. These are all acts of com- from a place of compassion. And how do we hold ourselves when our, our own hearts are breaking open? How do we take care of ourselves when it's like that for us? And it's too much to then to sit with what else is going on. But what it can also offer us, offer you, is a window into someone else's suffering. Oh, so this is what it's like. I can understand it now. So if you've been sick, or if you've lost a child, or you've had a life-threatening illness, you are not alone. There's no separation there. You have an opportunity here to, to experience this is what it's like for others. It's not just me. Now, Bell Hooks asks, asks a very, very good question. She says, for me, forgiveness and compassion are always linked. How do we hold people accountable for wrongdoing and yet at the same time remain in touch with their humanity enough to believe in their capacity to be transformed. This, is, this essentially is what uh, the practice of compassion is. Can we hold where this person or this situation is knowing that there's a potential for it to transform and it may not happen in our lifetime. It may happen in future generations. But can we hold that complexity? How do we hold people accountable for wrongdoing and yet at the same time remain in touch with their humanity enough to believe in their capacity to be transformed? History has showed that that's possible. But do we have the time to wait around? Does it happen in our lifetime? So seeds are planted and then they're nurtured, and they grow. And it may not happen in your lifetime, or my lifetime. And can you let go of the attachment of the outcome of what that might look like? And just surrender to the sharing of the possibilities of the transformation that can happen. So, To forgive does not necessarily mean to forget. This is Gina Sharp. Sometimes to forget is not wise, but to forgive is wise. And at times, most of the time, it's not easy. It can, in fact, be quite challenging. It will come as no surprise that one of the most difficult people to forgive can be yourself or a situation that has so much charge, pain, history, confusion, and lots of mixed emotions. 
Yet with patience and gentle determination, it can be do- it can be done. Forgiving oneself is one of the hardest gifts to give oneself, but it's possible. It's really possible. So I would like you to invite you to just for a moment practice the forgiveness practice in relationship to suffering in the world. So I'm going to invite you, you're welcome to let your eyes close. Just pick up, pick a situation that has some charge for you, but hopefully it's not on the scale of 10. Let's try to stay under 5, like under 4 even. Um, and just notice what arises. Because sometimes we don't have any... We don't have any control anyway, but whatever arises, arises. So I just invite you to just uh, allow a difficult circumstance into your awareness, possibly some injustice or unfairness that might have to do with a person or a group of people or anything that arises for you. Try as much as you can to have that experience be something that is not heavily charged as much as possible. And you may not be aware of all the people or circumstances involved, but there is pain and suffering in this experience, in this life. There is some tragedy, oppression, or violence, or abuse, or war. A list may come to your mind, but for this exercise, only pick one. And just allow yourself to sit comfortably. You can allow your eyes to close, or if not, uh, just find a spot where you can softly gaze. And let your breath just be natural and easy. Let the body and mind relax. And feel your connection to the earth, to this land. Breathe gently into your whole body, especially into your heart, as much as you're able. Doesn't have to be forced. If nothing arises, just notice how you are in this moment, how your body is. As you're breathing, allow yourself to feel the barriers that you've erected and the emotions you've carried because you haven't forgiven yourself or others or the situation. And just let yourself feel the pain of keeping your heart closed. Just notice it. For some, that might be all you can do. And others may be very familiar with this place. And here's the phrase. In any way that I have been unable to be with and respond skillfully to the pain and suffering of our world, my own pain and that of others, may I come to accept pain, suffering, confusion, and ignorance to be part of the journey, my own journey and the journeys of others. I offer forgiveness 
for the way that things are and have been as much as is possible in this moment. And if I cannot do so in this moment, may I be able to forgive myself in the future. And as you're breathing, let the body and mind relax as much as they can. And feel your connection to the earth, breathing gently into your whole body, especially into your heart. And when you're ready, open your eyes. Now, the forgiveness practice, uh, Jack Hornfield uh, created or wrote something up, one of his many books. So you can Google it and you can find that. This last one, this iter- variation of this last one, is a recent edition. And um, when I first heard it, it was from one of my teachers, Larry Yang. And I was so relieved, let me tell you. I was like, oh my goodness. I have a way to hold this now because it was too much. The When I say it, so many different um, situations just, I feel powerless and helpless at the times over anything I could possibly do. And I didn't know how to hold or carry it. So when he offered this, I was like, I'm there. And the part that really um, sustains me is that If I'm not ready in this moment, may I be able to do so in the future? And it's like getting a, getting a, a, what is that? In Monopoly, you get a, get out a jail card free something. And it's not, it's not trivial, but it's very reassuring in the sense that this is where I am in this moment. And it's okay. And I don't have to judge or beat myself up because I'm not doing more. Compassion allows you to have that place of just surrendering. When you're ill, you don't have a choice. You could either, yeah, you do. You can stay sick or you can work with whoever's working with you and get well as much as possible. So you do have a choice. But there is a way that if you surrender and then go that, through that journey, that process of healing, there is so much more to discover than resisting it. Because sometimes the resistance adds more suffering. So it doesn't seem like it makes sense, but sometimes that's just where we are with ourselves and our bodies. And sometimes it's in our relationships. And we don't want to hear what anybody else has to say. I have two grandchildren, and they're both adults, and I mean young adults, and I'm like, God, thank goodness they made it. (laughs) And they are in school or working, and, you know, I'm like, oh, my goodness. And my daughter did a wonderful job, but I'm telling you, and those who have children know that there are times, and I'll just leave it at that. (laughs) There are just times. 
So this practice of compassion, as I mentioned earlier, is not for the faint of heart. Um, Kuan Yin is described as she who hears the cries of the world. That's pretty amazing. And there is this woman, and I forgot her name, and she comes every year to California and she gives hugs. And every year I miss it. I'm determined to go. And to have that kind of humility and capacity to just open your arms to hug each person who comes up to you is pretty amazing. So how she holds her compassion is she gives it to you. She holds you and she gives it back to you. So you develop a a muscle to say, I can be with this. I can be with this suffering. And I have enough discernment to know when enough is enough. And that is compassion as well. That is not pity and that is not cruelty. It is this is how I take care of myself. This is what my capacity is. Sometimes the strongest word and the most loving word is no. Your children don't believe that, but it can be. So Joy Harjo um, has a poem called Remember. And I wanted to share it because how she frames things helps hold Here's another way to understand how compassion is in, is, is in this way. But before I do that, I want to read this um, quote by Rumi. Grief can be the garden of compassion. If you keep your heart open through everything, your pain can become your greatest ally in your life's search for love and wisdom. Something about pain is it, it humbles everybody. It levels the playing ground, straight up, because when you're in pain, that's all that's there. And that's being in that present moment with it. It doesn't mean that it's pleasant. It's one of the most unbearable things, and it's real. And it gives you information. If you can, once you get the pain manageable, then there's an opportunity to, to be able, to hopefully, to step back from it a little bit, to explore it. Some of it's directly related to an illness. Sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's mental. Yesterday I was listening to something on a CD and I was actually feeling like, okay, in this moment, everything's right with the world and I was smiling and felt pretty good. And then this morning when I woke up, I had so much sadness and so much despair. And I was thinking... Who can I call? Who can I talk to? But I don't even know what's causing this or what, what brought this on. But it was such a, a deep feeling of despair. And I'm like, okay, where did this come from? And so I just hung out with it, just noticing the sadness. And I was like, wow, this is so different than yesterday. And I was like, okay. But it was just that feeling, that air. And I was just, you know, wondering, like, well, where did this come from? And decided not to 
go down that path of trying to figure it out and just be with this is how it is in this moment. And then it passed. But it was interesting to watch it and to be with it. And I was thinking, well, everything that's just recently going on, maybe it's catching up and saying, okay, now we have a moment here. Pick one. Pick any one of life's crises and you could fit fit the the despair in that. It was just interesting to watch and, and just be with it and not necessarily say, okay, I got this figured out. Because I don't. And I was able to not... Um, belabor it in the sense of I need to have an answer but more to be this is how it is right now it was interesting so uh, I think I'm going to do something different instead of that poem John O'Donohue offers this he says may your thoughts Incline with reverence and respect. As water takes whatever shape it is in, so free may you be about who you become. As silence smiles on the other side of what's said, may your sense of irony bring perspective. As the time remains free of all that it frames, may your mind stay clear of all its names. May your prayer of listening deepen enough to hear in the depths the laughter of God. So compassion demands that we're courageous. It demands a fierceness and a resiliency and a strength. And it also demands grace and mercy and humbleness and being awed and falling to your knees, asking for support. Guide me and support me as I make these choices or not make these choices. And surrender to this is what it is now. And letting go of expectations and outcome. And moving out of the way of yourself. And being fierce. And being a warrior. And being present. So may you be well. May you find in your heart the tenderness to forgive yourself in situations that continue to cause suffering. May the path of forgiveness lead to liberation for all life. Thank you for your attention. So I'm going to invite, I'm going to open it up to questions or comments. And I'd like you to use the mic, wherever it is. Oh, there it is. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for your 
talk. I wanted to um, mention about the forgiveness practice. Um, what I really appreciated about it was um, I think that it's really easy to feel numb in the midst of a lot of the suffering. So, um, yeah, I noticed that what I, ben- what ben- what I benefited from it was um, how numb I was, actually, like the awareness of how numb I was, and then feeling how uncomfortable it was to be with the actual pain that was there. Mm-hmm. Um, because you kind of create the space for it, and mm-hmm. so by creating that space and inviting us to do that, I became aware of, oh, I was actually much more numb than I realized, and then because of how much of the pain came flowing in, mm-hmm. it was like opening a door that yeah. had like a, you know, an ocean of water behind it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I appreciated it because I think I valued that more than being numb. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of sparks an aliveness that, you know, then can lead to true um, forgiveness and sincere forgiveness and then also action. Because I think um, action without that sense of aliveness in, in the pain mm-hmm. um, dies out really quickly. Um, so, yeah, it was great to just really see the, the depth of the pain and then um, have that fuel um, the potential for forgiveness. Thank you. Thank you for your wisdom. And I just invite you to take care of yourself around that opening. It's a little tender. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I... But something that's interesting to me, because last week we did a, another sort of forgiveness practice with, mm-hmm. with Kate, mm-hmm. and uh, in both instances, I found that I, you know, my mind was saying, well, I don't, I don't really think I, I have any problem with forgiving myself. I, I don't, that's not something that worries me. A lot. I have lots of worries, but that's not one of them. <laughs> and then I found it both last week and this week, that the for- forgiveness practice was really um, so kind of opening and calming for me, and that I did it, by relaxing into it mm-hmm. that I kind of dis- I discovered that yes, I could use some forgiveness of myself. Mm-hmm. It so I really um, am so happy to have uh, found it. From you and from Kate, because I I think it's something kind of new for me anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank and you. that is so connected to compassion. Yes, it is. I mean, there's this, yeah. Thank you. Um, you mentioned at the very beginning about 
spiritual bypass mm-hmm. um, of your own wounds. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you could speak more to that. Um, sometimes there's always, I think, a choice around what you can do or not do. And sometimes there's the idea that if I just sit on the cushion and not deal with what's arising or the pain in my life, then this is the whole purpose of me sitting here. And in some ways it may be considered a bypass because you're not actually focusing on what's causing the suffering and using the cushion as a way or your practice as a way to avoid as opposed to being with. Because what we learn is the is, is developing the capacity to be with our own pain. And then hopefully or through your own practice, it helps you open the window to the world of suffering. You may choose not to ever do anything about it, but it allows you to have more capacity for others because you can be with your own. But when you bypass, then what, what are you doing? You're not really um, recognizing, accepting how it is in your life. It's not a judgment, it's what it is. And sometimes we need to take a moment to have a bypass if it's just too much in that moment. But the only way you can get through it is to go through it, through the pain. Because then there's the joy, and then there's the pain. And then there's the joy, and then there's the pain. This is life. So that's how I was referencing it. Thank you. Hi, thank you for your talk. Thank you. Um, What's coming up for me is this curiosity around what forgiveness is. Mm -hmm. And I have the sense that I can understand more or less in my mind, but that deeper it's this shift not only within my mind, but within my body and my Mm -hmm. spirit. So I'm wondering if you could speak more to how you would define or describe the experience of forgiveness. How much time do we have? (laughs) (laughs) It's a lifetime question, a lifetime uh, challenge. The forgiveness shows up in so many different ways with so many different circumstances. I think grief is part of forgiveness. I think acceptance being with equanimity around, this is how it is. Um, I know that the experiences where I've had, where I truly fall to my knees and ask for help is also part of the practice of can I be with what is and forgive myself for wanting something to be different. For example, um, I've had cancer twice, and it's in remission. And um, I've learned so much from that, and the grief around your body and the changes. And so the forgiveness practice looks different each time. 
And it can be different in relationship to pain. It can be different in relationship to your daughter or your son or your partner. But there's a way that it begins with yourself. And sometimes it's the most frightening thing to do is to sit with, I feel helpless right now. Can I be with that? Can I forgive myself in this moment for being like that? Can I forgive myself? Because I'm not ready to forgive you. And I'm really clear about that. And be okay with that. Or can I forgive myself when I've caused harm to someone else? And that wasn't my intention. And it happened anyway. So there's the, the, the complexity and the variation is huge. But it starts with the self and the willingness to, to, to open your heart, allow your heart to break open. And when you are a person who's very logical and not very much with the emotions, it still happens. It's a different experience for you, but it still happens. And there's no judgment with that. This is what it is. And some of us are very, very uncomfortable with our emotions and what we feel because it's so frightening. And yet, this is who we are. So if there's a way you can accept oh, this is how I'm feeling in this moment. It might help build up the muscles for the next moment. And other times, it's just this moment. And that's all. Not tomorrow, not yesterday, just right here, right now. Thank you. Thank you. And I have a quick second question. Sure. May I give you my card, please? Yes, ma'am. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. also want to say thank you when you commented oh don't think of that eight or ten think of four <laughs> I already had my like the, the eight I just came right. from on my way here and the mm-hmm. ten that I'm not like yeah. not ready for and and I found the four and while I was Focusing on that, I found myself softening in regard to the fact that I couldn't totally let go of the mm-hmm. eight or the ten. And um, your question about forgiveness and your answer made me realize how what a gift just that was, and just sitting with sort of the adjacency to it. And, mm-hmm. and I and I forgave myself some in mm-hmm. not looking directly add it. Mm-hmm. So, thank you. Thank you. Such a gift. Because our capacity to say, this is enough, is also about compassion and discernment and wisdom. So, thank you for your questions and your teachings. Is 
So now I'm going to um, do a metta practice with part of the phrases. And you can say your own if you like, or you can um, just listen to what I do. (laughs) So... What I really appreciate about this part of the practice is that there are different ways it's manifested in different places. Like in some of the Baptist churches, they do it similar, where they have the prayer thing at the end, and they say all the family's names and what's going on, and then they offer a prayer. So I was raised Catholic, so I don't really know about all of that. And I know in the Catholic church we would light the candles, and then we would say a prayer. So the the practice of prayer is universal. The practice of asking for support is universal. And asking for the guides who help carry us is universal. So we dedicate this merit and this practice and all that we offer to all life. May all life live with ease. May all life love and be loved. May all life be protected from inner and outer harm. And may all life be free from suffering and its consequences in all directions without exception. Thank you for your attention and your practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.